It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. It's a super Sunday night. Big two-hour edition of the show as we take you around the world of sports. Tim Unglesby and Ryan with you here in Las Vegas. And, of course, all the way across the country on the East Coast, my partner in crime from TomBartonSports.com, Mr. Tom Barton. And we're here again to break it down for you. We're going to talk NHL NHL conference final matchup today between the Rangers and the Lightning. We have the NBA Finals game number two, Golden State Boston. You saw how that one turned out. We're going to talk Major League Baseball in hour two as we did the American League last night. So it's the National League's turn this evening. What? Let me bring in my partner as always, Mr. Tom Barton. Tommy, just a wonderful sports Sunday. Yeah, it really was. um, Not exactly the way that I wanted it to go being a Ranger fan. I put five plays up today. You know, I never do that, Tim. I, in, in 10 years, I've never put up, uh, you know, five, more than six plays ever. I did that one time. I usually never put up five. I put up five plays today. I went four and one. So I am on cloud nine, except my Rangers did lose, Tim. Uh, one of those games where you go, I would have liked to have it, but, but I can handle that they lost the game. Overall, Celtics, uh, you know, again, I would have liked, I would have liked the Rangers and Celtics kind of day. But my sports betting went good. I, I wound up hanging out today. I got a little a little nap in, which is always pretty good. After my show, I went out. I did the lawn. I did I did dad stuff today. And then I got all into sports. And it was just a sports-laden type of day for me. And you know, Tommy, I have to tell you, and the thing about you can be a Rangers fan, but that didn't build into what the selection you gave out because we talked about it last night on the air. We exactly talked about the way this hockey game was going to go. The total was five and a half. You put up a five, and guess what? Or, I mean, you said under, and guess what? It landed right on five. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I gave away – I talked on my Sports Garden Network show this morning on Wanabat, and I said, you got to be nuts to lay 175 with the Lightning. You have to be insane to lay that with the Lightning. I said, no, I'm not taking the Rangers plus 150. I said, but but you got to be nuts laying the 175. Look, with, with – uh, you know, a minute to go, you were not feeling good about the 175, but with a minute to go, I was feeling perfectly fine with the under. Well, we're going to get to that game a little bit as we saw Tampa well, on the road to, to claiming back the home, or at least defending the home ice. Let's just put it that way. And that was, that was a, an exciting game, and we'll get to what could happen here with New York because that was a lead that they blew in that one and what it means moving forward. We're going to talk NBA basketball. Tom, still zero minutes watch. We'll get into that. But we're going to start the show off tonight with, uh, you, you said controversial, but not, not necessarily in that sort of speak. But it is topics that I think sometimes we don't always discuss. And, and they, they do, as when you look at the sports world as a whole, they are more than blips on the radar, Tommy. They are actually discussion pieces, and they could lead to chemistry issues of the first story we're talking about 
As far as the second one, we'll get into that as well because I think that was more of a more of a media grab, and you'll get my thoughts on that when we get to it. But let's start with the first one because it does, uh, it could lead into some dissension if it's taken the wrong way, and this is a very touchy subject moving forward. Yeah, you know, uh, my entire career, uh, specifically with you and, and my career solo with Sports Garden Network and everything else that I do. I always try to stay away from the topics that don't impact on the field play, right? I mean, we usually don't talk about it. We'll touch on it here and there. There are other shows out there that think their sports shows first, political shows second, and the, the two should intertwine at every uh, dissection point. And I just I disagree with most of that unless I sometimes do get roped into it. I'll be honest, I do. Um, but generally, we try to stick to sports here. There's very few times that we go off on a half hour or 45 minute tangent about our personal life. You won't hear us talking about you know, the type of shoes that we should be wearing and things like that. But when things like this come up, it's not hard to, like you said, connect the dots between controversial, potentially political impact and wait a minute, clubhouse problems and chemistry problems. So let's get into this, Tim, because... Five Tampa Bay Rays pitchers have refused to wear the Gay Pride logo on their uniforms. They are citing religious beliefs. Jason Adam, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, Ryan Thompson. Okay. Um, First of all, let me just put this way out there. I am one million percent for gay rights in every way, shape, or form. I I just don't care. Um, that's That's a nasty way to put it, but I just don't care. Do what you want to do, do do whatever you want to do. But in the second respect, I also understand, you know, their point of view. But none of this matters to me, right? It doesn't matter to Paul Martin. It doesn't matter to Tim. It doesn't matter to to the listeners. What I'm concerned about is the the raised locker room and what this says about the raised locker room. You know, in this country, we're so divided that Gabe Kapler sat down last week about two weeks ago and said, I'm not going to stand for the flag because I don't like the shootings and I don't like this and I don't like that. Now, everybody has to stand for the flag. It's just the way that it works. But people applauded him for taking, believing in what you believe in and taking a stand. And I said, you know, I, I don't think it's right. I, I think that the team dictates what you need to do um, and you need to do that. It's the same with the kneeling controversy. It's the same with all that. You should be standing for the flag. Well, while I, I understand where these guys are coming from and their religious beliefs, I'm also in the position of going, yeah, listen, if the team's going to give you a uniform, you got to wear that uniform, man. You know, it's weird how the country's kind of divided. But none of that really matters. What matters is that how important is this going to be inside the clubhouse? And sometimes you kind of brush it aside. Sometimes you go, okay, no big deal. All right, it's, it, it is what it is. So they won't wear a rainbow hat. Is anybody even going to notice if they didn't make a, a big deal about it? Is anybody going to notice? Or we might have, have ah, why is that guy wearing a regular hat? You know, I mean, David Wells wore Babe Ruth's actual hat out to the mountain, right? I mean, you know, would we have noticed? No, they made a point to make a point. Okay, I get it. It's your, your stance. It's your political affiliation. It is what it is. What got me about this story, Tim, is this. Kevin Cash came out and he admitted that the players reluctant to wear the pride patches had conversation in the locker room, and it had some heated discussions. He mentioned a heated discussion. So whether you're on the side of 
the the idea of hey, good for them, good for them standing up for what they believe in. Or you're on the side of hey, you know what? You're a team player, be a team player, and wear what we tell you to wear. None of that matters what our opinions are. What matters is going on in the locker room. And Kevin Cash made it a point to say it's been a topic of conversation. It's been a heated topic of conversation. It's been a problem in a raised locker room. Now all of a sudden it starts to become a sports story, Tim. Now it's not mm-hmm. a political story. Now, now it's not a what do I can stand on. Now it's not, you know, is this bigotry? Is this racist? No, 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 no. Now it's a sports story. Because five players of your team have decided to take a stand, how will that impact the rest of the team? If Kevin Cash felt the need to come out and say that it's already impacted things, it makes me scratch my head. But Tim, before I go to you and get your thoughts on this, it brings me to the bigger notion of we have kind of got a little idea during the analytics of baseball and, and all sports. We've gotten rid of the idea that Clubhouse matters. Clubhouse chemistry matters. And people forget that these are human beings because we're playing fantasy, because we're betting on them, playing video games. People forget that these are human beings. I think that this story has serious sports legs, Tim, because it can impact the locker room. It's already done so much so the manager had to address it and admit that it's already caused problems. I think that this is going to be a bigger story than we really read into. I think for I think from a sports from the sports angle, what you said, whereas Kevin Cash has came out in the media and made it, uh, a, I'm not going to say a bigger deal than it should be. He made it a discussion point, and and I, I didn't actually, you know, trans, full transparency. I didn't know about it till you told me, and I I did my quick research on it. It happened today, obviously, right? So it was a Pride Day. The only things from a sports point of view I can say, Tommy, and tell me if you see this is that the five players that chose not to wear the patch on their uniforms or the standard ball cap other than springs and Rayleigh who come out of that back end I, I don't know if these are guys that are really going to divide a clubhouse you know what I'm saying when I when I say that it's more so like the guys that are the clubhouse leaders are all for doing whatever is best for the team regardless of their personal opinions of it so is it really going to be a sports story with those guys involved? It's not like um, Franco came out and said something about it, and now he's pissed off at everybody. It, it's you know it's, these are guys; they're role players or bench guys. Yeah, but Tim, you're speculating here that it wasn't. Look, if there's heated discussions, mm-hmm. maybe there is a guy on the team that you know it feels very you know very strongly about this. Maybe his his brother or sister. Or you know, neighbor or some, somebody in his family is very now all of a sudden, let, let's just say you use Wander Franco, I'll use him. Let's say that was Wander Franco. And now he's mad at five players on the team. Now all of a sudden there is that weird tension in the locker room. There is the weird divide. You reach for the same sandwich and you kind of, ah, I don't want to deal with this guy. I mean, you, who knows? What if it's the catcher that has to be, it's, it's the guy that's calling the plays. What if it's him? I mean, we don't know how deep it goes. And I would be brushing this off, and I would not have brought this to the conversation until you said Kevin Cash made it a bigger deal. Tim, I think he had to. I think that it is it became such a big deal in the locker room. He didn't say we've had just discussions. He said we've had heated discussions in the locker room. I wouldn't be surprised if there was already a fight. And this is Kevin Cash's way of kind of getting out in front of the news. I think that this could be disastrous. I know that they're role players, but it's not one dude. 
This is five role players that decided we're taking this stand. There might be five more guys on the team that said, you know what? Look, we're going to wear the hats, but we agree with you. Well, who knows how deep this goes? But you only have 26 men in that locker room. You already have at least five of them are having discussions that are tearing the locker room apart. Or as far as Kevin Cash makes it seem, it's certainly a bad situation there. True. I, I, I definitely didn't consider the fact that maybe there are people that are willingly, they went along with it, but feel a certain way. The, the other point I want to bring up is that why is it isolated to just the Tampa team? Wouldn't you think that if this was a bigger political deal, that there'd be other players in amongst the whole major leagues that would stand out and say something as well? Or is it just something that, again, Tom, maybe isn't at the focal point of like we've seen the BLM or the flag or any of that? This is just uh, like the, the beginning of something that we're going to see here from for, from now on. I think it is. I think it's going to permeate. I think it probably already has, and people have kind of just dealt with it. You know, you know athletes as much as I do, and, and you know, speaking to athletes, and I would say this is most people out there, uh, you either believe very strongly about something, you just don't care about it, or you don't know. Like, there's not a lot of people that kind of are you know, very feverishly against one thing or the other. You have a very few select people that are very, very strong for something. Very few select people, very, very against. And most people are kind of in the middle going, yeah, whatever. I I don't agree with the gay pride thing, but I'm going to wear that. Or, you know what? Hey, look, I I agree with it, but I'm not going to fight with you. Don't wear the hat. I don't care. You know, there's a lot of people in the middle that, that are there. That that's, that's a lot of the people in the world and a lot of people, especially in a baseball clubhouse, I would assume are in that middle ground where, yeah, whatever, do whatever you guys want to do. I'm not going to do it. doesn't mean I don't agree with you. doesn't mean I disagree with you. I'm just not going to do it. But you will start to have more and more people that stand up for what they quote unquote believe in. Gabe Kapler standing up for what he believes in. Steve Kerr still wearing a mask. I mean, you know, Steve Kerr gave the, the, the pregame interview with a mask on. And an orange shirt about gun violence, right? He's standing up for what he believes in. Um, Kyrie Irving didn't play games this season because he felt so strongly about stuff. Talk to me about all you want. Everyone's, ah, ripping apart Kyrie Irving. Look, it's the same thing as Gabe Kapler. What Kyrie Irving is doing was the same thing that Colin Kaepernick did, right? Doing something you believe in, whether it's misguided or not, in your opinion, it's not his opinion. This is an opinion that I guarantee you will start to permeate through Major League Baseball. If it already hasn't, people are going to start standing up. You know what? Those guys have uh, you know religious freedom to not do it. Now I'm going to go not do A, B, and C. So right. you're right. I, I think that it is probably a bigger deal than we have heard about and that we have really talked about. What really got me about this story is, though, how little the media and sports fans pay any attention to locker room chemistry. We've gotten into such an analytical age, such a Billy Bean age, where people are just – you know, feelings don't matter. And I think it does. I think if you're spending you know, 162 games is, is 200 plus days on the road with people, people living together, hanging out together, eating, drinking, everything. You're with these guys 200 plus days a year, if not uh, probably close to 300 plus days a year, especially as a baseball player. These are, are your, your teammates. They're almost your family. You've got to have good chemistry. I'm sorry. I still believe that chemistry means something in sports, Tim, and this is something that can rock a team. Do you think it would be a bigger 
national headline if it were in the Dodger or the Yankee locker room? And I know the answer. I'm being facetious, of course. But is it because it's hey, it's Tampa? Nobody's picking that up. If it was New York, it would be out there. We would it would be front page. A hundred percent, Tim. A hundred percent. It would also be out there. And this is going to be extremely controversial. I told you I'd be delicate with the subject tonight. But it would also uh, would be make big time shaking waves if this wasn't, you know, Christian religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. If this was uh, other type of religious beliefs, a minority religious beliefs, feeling that they were brushed aside. Um, if it wasn't against gay pride, which I think most people out there are, are yeah, okay, you know what, we're all for gay. Go, go ahead. Um, if it was for another subject, if it was something different, I think the subject, the team, and the players being lesser players, lesser team, or not a media market team, and the subject is something that a lot of people are going to overlook. My thoughts are just, you know, in that locker room, it might not be brushed aside just as easily as we all think that it will be. Well, something to keep our definitely keep your eye on because Tampa. I'll be with the, the Yankees' hot start. Tommy, Tampa is still there in the mix for the wild card right now. And uh, it's a team that it, – it's just interesting for me. It is. It really is interesting that that was the team that, that it came out in because it's just – everybody has their own beliefs. Everybody believes um, what's right and wrong. And at the end of the day, you think it would come out of somewhere – that had more of, of a, a mainstream or, or media friendly market, but it is what it is at the end of the day. And uh, by the way, Tim, T- Tampa has three against St. Louis at home. Then they go to first place, Minnesota for three, first place, New York for three, three against Baltimore, three more against the Yankees. Couldn't have come at a worse time for a team trying to kind of make some ground up. They're going to take on, uh, Almost first place St. Louis, first place Minnesota, first place Yankees, then Baltimore, then first place Yankees for, to yeah. close out the month. This is this could go sideways for Tampa Bay really fast. Could seriously find themselves well into double digits behind at that point if, if the uh, locker room is divided, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and again, real quick, not to ber- berate the point here, but uh, Tim, this isn't one guy. You know, the Kyrie thing, was, it seemed like he was alone – I know he wasn't, but this wasn't one guy. These five guys decided to sit down, talk about this, publicly come out and say this. You know, there was a lot of thought that went into this. This wasn't just a a throw it out there. The Tampa Bay are half a game behind Toronto. They are four games up on Boston. They're facing potentially their toughest stretch of, what, 15 games in the season. And this comes out the day before. I can't feel comfortable if I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan. By the way, they've lost two in a row, and they're five and five in the last ten. Boston has has won four in a row. They're coming up streaking the right way. You also want to touch on the cap situation as well. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the Colin Kaepernick thing because I think it ties in in a lot of ways. You know, I put out a video at Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube. I, I'd love you guys to go check it out. And I tried to stay away from the political ramifications of Colin Kaepernick. And I know that, that's nearly impossible. But my argument basically is in the same vein of, Tim, it can hurt the locker room. Colin Kaepernick getting a tryout does nothing but hurt the Raiders. Now, hold on, Raider fans, before you all flip out 
and start writing all over the place. We do the Las Vegas Raiders radio report. LV Raiders radio is, is the Twitter handle. And we try to stay strictly on Raiders stuff. And, and this isn't an anti-Raiders thing. This is kind of a pro Derek Carr situation. If you bring Colin Kaepernick in for a tryout or a workout, now if you have to cut him, look, if the guy doesn't have it, Tim, right? There's, no, there's only two things. Either you're going to work him out and invite him to spring camp or summer camp, or you're going to work him out and say he doesn't have it anymore. If you're the team that says he doesn't have it anymore, you're going to get people that don't understand football or don't watch football, and some people that might even consider themselves football fans. They're going to just blame you for not giving him a chance. Oh, you know, we worked him out. He didn't work out. He doesn't have it. You know, it's been too long. He's 34 years old. He lost mobility. He doesn't have the arm. Whatever the excuse might be that the Raiders say, if he doesn't work out. And then you're going to bring this undue heat upon your team, this undue pressure upon your team going, yeah, what what, what do we, you know, you're the team that cut him. You're the team that wouldn't give him a second chance. You are the team. Well, you're a racist. I mean, you're, you're the team that hired Gruden. I mean, here we go down that path. Now, if he does make it, Tim, well, you go, oh, isn't that the best scenario? You work this guy out and then, no, that's a terrible situation. For a backup quarterback or what he would be would be a third-string quarterback, you want certain attributes. You want guys that can read the playbook. Colin Kaepernick can't do that. He hasn't been able to do that since college. Read the reports on the drafting of Colin Kaepernick. And one of the, the number one things was he can't read a defense. He can't read, um, uh, understand offenses he's more of a off the script kind of guy that does things with his athletic ability that was 12 years ago okay i don't think he got more athletic sitting down the last time we saw colin kaepernick he was legitimately absolutely graded out as the worst quarterback in the league he was benched for blaine gabbert he went to a single read option still couldn't figure it out he was the worst quarterback in the nfl as a starter well you want from your second and third string guys, when you have somebody like Derek Carr, your franchise quarterback behind him, you want somebody that can help Derek Carr. Do you think that Colin Kaepernick being on that team helps Derek Carr in any way? Do you think he's going to learn that playbook and help him out? Do you think he's going to see things that Derek Carr doesn't see? No, none of that is going to happen. But I tell you what can happen. I don't think it will, but I'll tell you what can happen. What can happen is that the Kansas City Chiefs are still the Chiefs and they are 10, 11, 12, 13 win team. The Chargers take the next step up, and they are a 10, 11, 12, 13 win Super Bowl bound type of team. The Denver Broncos have Russell Wilson. They become a 10, 11, 12, maybe Super Bowl eyeing type of team. And the Raiders, who had an interim head coach last year, struggle this year. Well, if they struggle this year, probably because, you know the entire team struggles, but a lot of that will fall on the quarterback, which it normally doesn't Derek Carr. And that's when the fan base starts saying, give Kaepernick a shot. Throw Kaepernick in there. What's the worst that could happen, Tim? Let him start. Let him go in there. So to me, it's a no-win situation for a team like the Raiders. There's a no-win situation for a team like the Raiders. It, it, it just isn't there. Which, again, here we go. It's, it's a situation where you forget that you're dealing with personalities. You forget you're dealing with a team. You forget you're dealing with people in the clubhouse that will be divided. There will be people that believe in Colin Kaepernick, believe in what he does, believe in his talent, believe that he should get a shot, and believe that what he did was right. Then you're going to have people out there like you, you look down and you go, Antonio Brown and Michael Thomas, just in the last month, have ripped, publicly ripped apart Colin Kaepernick, calling him trash for what he did on the field and off the field. So there's going to be that. Why would you bring that element into your team? Why would you do that? You do that because you only think about analytics, Tim. 
You do that because, like I said, clubhouse camaraderie in sports is just dead. And that's why you bring in a guy like Colin Kaepernick, because you're not thinking about the overlying situations and how this could go bad in that locker room. Tommy, when was the last time he threw a competitive pass? Six years ago. Six years ago. And he was god-awful. He, he, the last game that he, he had, they had already gone to a single-read offense because he threw four interceptions in that in the game before that. So they went to a single read, which is, is I mean, it's high school football. Um, and the reason why he was benched was they believed that Blaine Gabbert was better fit for the offense because he wasn't going off script. Right. The year before that, he was graded out as the seventh-worst quarterback in the NFL. So the last two years of his NFL career – he was legitimately the worst quarterback in the NFL as a starter. There, there's no arguing that. There's no denying that. So for six years, it's he hasn't played. And here's my problem with, obviously, social media in today's world is that it gives a form for people who aren't even sports fans, who know nothing about the game, to have an opinion and yes, I know we all should have opinions on something. But if you don't know what you're talking about, it doesn't mean that your opinion's right or wrong. You're wrong. It's, it's not even a – this isn't even a political thing at this point. There was no reason the Oakland Raiders – yes, the Oakland Raiders should have brought him in for any type of – it was purely a media stunt, Tommy, purely a media draw. And I know this – a perfect example is we follow a guy on Twitter. His name's Willie Ramirez. He posted a picture the other day of the Allegiant Stadium parking lot empty one week after the so-called tryout that Kaepernick had, where everybody in their in their mother was out there with a microphone and a camera trying to see what was going on. It's a purely a media stunt, and I and I didn't like I, I didn't approve it then. I don't approve it now. I think it's ridiculous that teams have to go to this length to draw some type of mainstream uh, publicity. He he. You, you are 100% correct then, and you're 1,000% correct now. He doesn't deserve to be on a football field, and it has nothing to do with the way his political stance is. He's just older now. He's not He's not NFL. Uh, he's not an NFL player anymore. That's the bottom line. It's, but, Tim, it, Tim, you just yeah. said anymore. Let, let's just be realist here, Tim. He was never any good. Colin Kaepernick was never a good quarterback. Coming out of college, all of the questions there were, he does not know how to read a defense. He does not know how to read a playbook. He has to rely on his pure athletic ability, which is often broken plays. He got with a quarterback guru on a Super Bowl team that really dumbed down the playbook for him, was able to just say, okay, we're going to try to use your athletic ability and, and kind of work on this for a little bit. The reason why it worked one year is because people didn't have film on him. They got film on him, and he was terrible. He was benched for Blaine Gabbert even a year too late. I would go as far to say that Colin Kaepernick was never a good quarterback, Tim. He had a brief, tiny little window that Jeff Hostetler has had, okay? You know what I mean? Uh, Mitch Strabinski had. Rex Grossman went to a Super Bowl. I mean, that's what he was. He was never a top 10 quarterback. He was never a top 20 quarterback. He was always in the lower portion. And the people that go, well, you know what? He had one good year. Look at the two years following that. Look at the question marks coming into the league that he had. He never evolved. He never wound up becoming something different. And a guy that consistently shot himself in the foot. And yes, 
having a tryout with the Miami Dolphins and wearing a Castro shirt, you know, the week of, of that, that, <laughs> that's shooting yourself in the foot, guys, right? Um, remember, he had a trade to Denver. He was going to go with Denver. No, shooting himself in the foot. A guy that consistently shot himself in the foot is always being referred to as, well, you know what? Right? Remember what he was. Remember, remember what he could have been. No, no, no. I do remember what he was, Tim. He was benched for Blaine Gabbert. And at the time, everybody said, yeah, he should be benched. Why why did they do it? Publicity, right, Tom? That's the only reason. There there nobody I, I saw a tweet that some idiot had said that he's better than their backup. No, he's not. He's not. He he was he was yeah, he was bad. He hasn't thrown a pass. His, he was pure athletic ability. That's who he was, pure athletic ability. Do you think it got better over the last 10 years? Do you think all of a sudden, you know, it got it, he got more athletic? No, no. guys, come on. No. It, it, not, not at all. It, week 10 against the Panthers, guys, he had 91 yards. This is, this is you know, the last year as a start. Week 10 against the Panthers. 91 yards, he took six sacks. He took more sacks than anyone at the position during the time that he started since David Carr. He had two offensive linemen that went to the Pro Bowl, Tim. He doesn't understand the position as a starting quarterback. The game that I was talking about, the four-interception game, Tim, he was 5 of 10 for 33 yards and four-interception. Hey, you can sit back and move things around and say, here we go, and oh, no, no, no. Tim, the last two seasons for Colin Kaepernick, 21 games over the last 21 games, he ranked 26th in the NFL. He was 3-16, and 16, which is outside the top 30 quarterbacks. He had a 59% completion percentage, which was 32nd in the league, and he had a total QBR, which is 31st in the league, out of 35 uh, people, 52. 3-16, 59% completion percentage. The 31st dead last in the league at QBR, dead last in the league at completion percentage, out of dead last in, in three and six. I mean, he was terrible, Tim, his last two seasons. Not mediocre, not can play, not, well, he's better than some backups. No, he was terrible. And besides all of that, you have to go with what does a coach want on his bench from his backup quarterback? I do a show, I do a believe, believe in the Ivy League podcast, and a guy named E.J. Perry, um, was really, really good this year. And I, I did an entire thing. I thought he was going to get drafted late. And I did an entire show on EJ Perry is the perfect backup quarterback. A guy that just retired, Ryan Fitzpatrick, perfect backup quarterback, smart, intelligent, reads playbooks, was able to look at defenses. You always heard, hey, you know what? They were able to see things. They just didn't have the ability. Somebody that's pure athletic ability is not going to help Derek Carr in any way. He's not going to help the offense, which means he's not going to help the Raiders. He was a terrible quarterback. He's not going to help Derek Carr. He's also bringing in a type of publicity you don't want. I'm just saying if he was on the team, he'd be bringing in this publicity that can divide. We just talked about it, right? Tommy can, can divide a locker room based on where you stand on certain beliefs. So not only is he not good, not only is he past his prime, not only has he thrown a pass in over six seasons, he brings negativity with him. Whether it doesn't matter what side you're on, it causes negativity. I just don't understand. Why did the Raiders do this? Nobody else did this over the years. Why did he, why did they do this? Now I feel like the Raiders are trying to make atonement for John Gruden. I think that that's what they're doing. I think that they want 
to make some headway. They want it. They like the publicity, obviously. Um, they are the Raiders. So they, they do things differently, and, and Al Davis w- would give them a shot. And you're right, six years ago, maybe Al Davis would have given them a shot, right? I, I mean, you know, maybe. Maybe that's that's the way that the old Raiders were. And now that you want the publicity, I just don't see an upside here at all. Either Colin Kaepernick is terrible and you're the team that ended his football dreams, or Colin Kaepernick is great and now all of a sudden, oh, great, he's great, and now all the fans are calling for his head. And I know that we, you know, we just got a, a text here, Tim, that said, you know, if Derek Carr thinks that he's you know, a threat, it's not that he might be a physical threat or, or should be a threat. But the most famous person on every football team, on a losing football team, is the backup quarterback, no matter who you are. I don't think the crowd is going to be sitting there uh, clamoring for Jason Stitham to come in there. I think it's going to be Colin Kaepernick. Right. Well, he didn't get a contract, Tom, so, which we knew was going to happen. Right. Yeah, well, good. So maybe he could go away now. <laughs> never come back and we could we can never have a publicity stunt like this again <laughs> Tim Mugglesby, Tom Barton, Heat Wave Sports Super Sunday night when we come back we'll just over to NBA game two of the finals can or did Golden State draw even with the Boston Celtics we'll keep you, of course you already know what happened but we'll talk about it on the other side of it Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio <laughs> Now back to Heatwave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. Indians, a 3-2 winner today against the Orioles. We'll talk baseball in hour number two. Tim, you still call it the Indian? Uh, forever. Forever I will, my man. <laughs> forever I will. Game two, NBA Finals in Frisco tonight. Warriors came into this game a four-point favorite and... Much like game one where Boston, Tommy, ran away in the fourth quarter. This time it was a third quarter, uh, mistake-prone quarter for the Celtics. The Warriors put up a 35. The Celtics just managed 14 points, and essentially that was the end of it. A, a close game at the at the half went pretty much good night at that point. 107-88. The Warriors now tie this best of seven, one-to-one. And Tommy, it's you know you you gave out the stat last night. You, we broke it down for you. Mister supposedly never shows up in the finals. Showed up again. I, you know a lot a lot of the negatives that people wanted to throw out about the Warriors. Look, we we had a whole discussion last night, two hours about what the better team was. Better team won tonight. Bottom line. Yeah, I, I mean, look, you know, <laughs> that happens, right? I mean, that, that we talked about it last night. That happens. Um, the Warriors just found their groove. They're at home. We just talked about it off the air a little bit. Now, the Celtics were in this game, and the Cel- this game could have looked a whole lot different had the Celtics not thrown the ball away literally in the first half. I mean, they just had turnover after turnover. They were only down two. They could have been up by 10 going into the half, and I think the game would have turned around and been a completely different kind of game. We know with the history of this Warriors team over and over and over, what we know about this Warriors team is that they come out of the locker room in the second half. That third quarter is owned by them. If you're a sports better, uh, third quarter, Warriors in the playoffs hit it every single game all day long. I mean, it hit it all the time. That's what the Warriors are. And they came out and they did it again and kind of just left them in their dust. I think that we saw a lot of what I alluded to last night. 
Now, I don't want to ever say that a team gave up, but I think that we saw a, a Celtics team that said, hey, we got one or two in Golden State. We did our job. I think we kind of saw a Celtics team that was very happy with taking one of two. They lost. They benched players in the fourth quarter. I know Chris Wynn felt it bad on his prop play. I had over seven rebounds uh, for Jason Tatum. He got six, and then they didn't basically play him in the fourth. I thought we saw a lot of the long game from the Celtics. Once they were behind, once they got trounced in that third quarter, they weren't coming back in the fourth. And it was just the Warriors being the Warriors. And, and Steph being Steph, taking the game over. You said it. Everyone goes, oh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't show up in the playoffs. What are you watching? What what game are you watching? Because I completely disagree with that. Things we saw in game one that we figured weren't going to happen in game two, Horford. Yeah, this, the big game was a six trade. He didn't even take a three-point attempt tonight. He finished with two points. We knew Tatum was going to bounce back, and he did with 28 in limited time, as you just said. I think Brown's been really quiet for Boston the first two games, and at least in my opinion. On the other side, Curry was Curry, but, but Thompson was terrible tonight, and it, and it didn't affect them because Boston was really bad tonight. Really bad. He was John Starks bad almost, which yes. is really bad, right? But Poole played better in game two than he did in game one, and, and I think we saw, like you said, that they, they – I won't say they cashed it in, but they cashed it in, right, Tom? It's, they're like, okay, now we go back. We stole a game. Let's hold home home court, and, and we have a chance to win it. Yeah, look, um, the Warriors and the Celtics both have to feel real good about themselves. Uh, the Warriors have to sit back and go, okay, look, we have really owned, when you really break it down here, Tim, uh, the Warriors have owned seven of the eight quarters at the, in this series. Fourth quarter, game one, was the only quarter where they completely fell apart. The Warriors have to be going into Boston saying, we have, we have owned this series. We should be up 2-0. We had one bad quarter. And the Celtics have to say, hey, look, we just took one. Uh, we took it on the chin. We, we have played close with this team. We are, are, are kind of neck and neck. But I, I think one of the things that you said is really, really interesting, and that is um, the aspect that, that Thompson hasn't looked great. And the Warriors can say, oh, we, we, we think he's going to be better. We, you have to expect him to be better. But he hasn't been looking good recently. And the Celtics can draw on that as well. While the Warriors are going to go, look, Clay can't be that bad again. I think that the Celtics are looking at this going, yeah, we can make him be that bad because we have that defense. So both of their mindsets, depending on how you're looking at this glass half full, glass half empty, I think both of their mindsets really, really can make this a positive experience. Going back to Boston, game three. Game threes are always vital. This is absolutely vital for both of these teams because of the mindset where they're at right now. They both feel good about the series. They both should be feeling good about the series. And that game three is really going to set it in a, a, a tailspin for one team and euphoria for the other team. Game threes are always very important. This game three is going to be absolutely vital, Tim. Game three in Boston on Wednesday. They'll get an extra day's rest. And already, Tom, the line looks like the Celtics three and a half, most places. Yeah, Celtics three and a half. Celtics have actually been better on the road than at home. They're eight and three now on the road after tonight. Um, Boston hasn't lost back-to-back games in the postseason. They are kind of the uh, doing what the Lightning do. The Warriors are going to travel here. The Warriors are in a position where their defense really stepped up. I think the line is right where it needs to be, and I said that about the last two games. But I'll give the stat that I gave last night, and now we could extend it one more. Since 2011, the spread has not mattered if the spread is less than six. 
in the NBA Finals, if the spread is less than six, the winning team is 64-0 against the spread. 64-0, Tim, if the spread is less than six. So we get another spread, less than six, meaning if you like the Warriors, take the money line. If you like the Celtics, who cares if the line is three and a half or four? Who do you like? I got to go Celtics here. Um, I know that I have the Warriors for the series. Celtics going back home, going back into that raucous environment. The Celtics are a young team that feeds off of that environment. I think that they will feed off of it really well. It is the first travel game for the Warriors. The Warriors are in a position where they just kind of trounce them. I think that there's going to be a lot of looking at film. I think there's going to be a much better defensive effort. I, I think the Celtics are the right side. Now, with that being said, do you, at that point, do you go back to Golden State in game four? Yeah, I think you have to. I I, I do. I said that this was going to be a seven-game series. Um, I didn't expect them to, to – I didn't expect Boston to take game one. I thought they'd take game two, and I do the same thing here. I don't expect the Warriors to take game three. I do expect them to take game four. Wednesday night, game three in Boston – should be an exciting series the rest of the way out. Some other NBA news real quickly, Tommy. Comes to the coaching ranks. Saw a new coach in L.A. Didn't get your thoughts on that one. And they, they're gonna, there's going to be a new coach in Utah as well, Quinn Snyder, stepping down. But this could cause ramifications in the locker room, as we've talked about pretty much this whole show. Donovan Mitchell, man, a little upset about it, Tom. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell has been – he's been one of those guys that, to me, has had his foot out the door for the last two years. Um, there was a, some rumors that him, him and Rudy Gobert kind of threw the gauntlet down and said, you know, it's either me or him, and Rudy doesn't get along with him. Um, I, I, I've heard the rumors of Donovan Mitchell winding up in New York quite a bit. So I, I think that this might be more of a reason to get out than him actually being as upset as he seems to be upset. But it will. It will cause some ripple effects. Uh, as far as the next Utah coach, I don't know what you could do with that roster. I think Quinn Steiner is a very good coach. I do. I think uh, Quinn Steiner makes a, a, a lot of sense leaving as well. And that could both be true. I think he's a good coach, but his time had run out in Utah. Um, I, I just, I, I think when you look at the Utah Jazz, they don't realize that, I know you didn't get to the promised land, but you lose Quinn Schneider, you lose Donovan Mitchell. It's one thing to you know win 50 games and kind of come up with disappointment. And that's another thing to not make the playoffs. And that you're on to not make the playoff land if you lose these two. As far as the Lakers coach, uh, ho hum, you know, doesn't really doesn't really do anything for me. Well, the one thing I will say is that bringing him aboard now makes sure that Russell Westbrook will be part of this team. One of the reasons they brought him on board is because he likes Westbrook. He wants to integrate Westbrook. So that is something that's really interesting to me. The coaching change doesn't really matter. LeBron James is the head coach of this team, and NBA coaches matter very little anyway. It's the least utilized or the least important coach in all of sports. Uh, so it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. But the underlying notion of Russell Westbrook, yeah, now he's staying. Russell Westbrook will be a Laker. I'm not going to go get rid of him. And that in itself is the story, Tim. I was going to say, what did you think about the – Lakers hiring of new assistant coach Darvin Ham. <laughs> yeah, means nothing, right? Yeah, means nothing. Uh, I, I, I won't even know the guy's name uh, until about <laughs> midseason. So it, it doesn't matter. I, I mean, I do. I know about him. I'm, I'm being facetious, obviously. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad hire either. 
I actually think he, he works and is a pretty good fit. But the reason why the hire was made, the reason why Ham is in there, is to integrate Russell Westbrook the, the proper way. That's why. So anybody that thinks that all of a sudden he's going to kind of be gone, no, 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 no. no. Uh, he's not. That's not happening. Here's my take on Utah. <clears throat> and you know, Tommy, I, I've, I did some work on the, on the previous Utah Jazz uh, pre- and post-game shows back in the day. I know you're well aware of that. Um, nobody wants to play in <laughs> nobody wants to play in Salt Lake City, man. This isn't the, the the late '90s where Malone and Stockton and Horny they're all you know they're doing their thing. Nice city. Nobody wants to nobody wants to to be that guy. Donovan Mitchell never wanted to be that guy. Donovan Mitchell, like you said, right? He. he he gets drafted there. They go to – in five seasons, Tommy, they've been to the uh, third round twice. The last two years they got bounced in the first round. But Donovan Mitchell made Donovan Mitchell, right? So I, I like what you said. Foot out the door, and now this is the perfect excuse to just completely say, look, I was a Quinn guy. I signed that extension because Quinn Snyder was going to be here. Now that he's gone, I don't know if I want to play here. So you guys should probably entertain – looking at what you can get from me and let me go somewhere else I want to be. Donovan Mitchell wants to be the man, right? It's not going to happen in Salt Lake City, and, and I'm, I'm not even being funny about it. That is just not the place that an NBA superstar wants to play, Tom. I'm sorry. Tim, I'll tell you my, my brief story about Salt, Salt Lake City real quick, and it'll highlight your point. Uh, I was coming to Vegas, and we had a layover in Salt Lake City one night. And it was about me and about five or six of my, my guy friends. We were in our mid-20s, okay? Uh, and we got stuck, and they had told us, you know, you might have to spend the night, uh, you know, uh, in Salt Lake City. You, you might have to spend the night here because there's no more flights out. Luckily, we got out, but we had to spend about two hours there thinking we were going to spend the night. And all I remember is everybody I was with was like, could you pick a worse place on the planet to put – Five 25-year-olds going to Vegas, drinking on the plane and ready to party in friggin' Salt Lake City. You know, and, and while I'm being funny about it, I'm kind of not. Think about it. You're an NBA superstar. You have the world at your hand. You're late 20s, early 30s, whatever it is. Um, you know, you want to be in the middle of it. You want to be in the middle of it. Actually, you want to be the guy, like you just said. And you're dropped off in Salt Lake City. Tim, that's not a fun little adventure. Now the options are, hey, New York wants you. Uh, yeah. you, you, you mean New York City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. New York wants you. Oh, uh, we heard we heard rumors about Miami wanting you. How does that sound? The Bulls have thrown their hat into the ring. The Spurs had thrown their hat into it. San Antonio, I get to party in Miami. I get to be, you know, marketed in New York. I get to go to Chicago. Uh, maybe LeBron's calling. I mean, and then you go or Salt Lake City with Rudy Gobert, who I don't really get along with anyway, and my head coach is gone. I would say it's all but done that Donovan Mitchell's out of town. And not even to be political. Donovan Mitchell doesn't fit in with – when you look at the Utah Jazz lineage, Quinn Snyder looks like a Utah Jazz head coach. Rudy Gobert looks like a Utah Jazz player. Donovan Mitchell looks like a superstar. And, I, I you know, I, the last superstar they had was who? Carl Malone, right? It, it is yeah, what it is. Yeah, and Carl Malone on his uh, farm, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, his many farms in his flannel jackets, and yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it just it is what it is. There's nowhere the way Wait to put a minute, it. Tim, Tim I, got, I got a text, and I, yeah. I definitely figured out a worse city than Salt Lake City. 
okay. because Chris Wynn just wrote Detroit. <laughs> he he was he was sticking up for Detroit, but I got to think that Detroit's a worse city than Salt Lake City. He might be right. If, if you if you walk outside the airport in Detroit, you might have a problem, Tom. So. <laughs> Oh, uh, the I saw the Hornets shops. So, uh, is that even a team anymore, Tom? Kenny Atkinson's supposedly going there. So I kind of like Kenny Atkinson too, which is funny about it. You know, I, I actually kind of like him. Um, it's a shame that he's going to, to the Hornets, but doesn't it make sense that Kenny Atkinson, the guy that we could all kind of get behind and we could all kind of like, is going to a team that nobody's looking at? That you don't even you can't name three players on the team. Nobody knows. And guess what? Kenny Atkins is probably going to have them playing pretty well. We're going to be talking about a playoff push. I don't think they do anything big. I bet you he's able to turn that team into a playoff contender just because no one's paying attention to them. No one knows them. They don't have many players on that team. And all of a sudden, you know, they go out there, they go get a good coach. And I think that Kenny Atkinson um, is a guy that can turn this around. Call me weirdly optimistic about it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think maybe maybe the, the Hornets are, are doing some things under the radar. And, and I joke, by the way, I know they have LaMelo Ball. I'm going to get emails about that at Tom Barton Sports. Uh, Harold was something at a time and Bridges and Hayward were all, all, all guys that could have been, should have been, maybe would have been Mason Plumlee, right? Um Isaiah Thomas was pretty cool with the Washington you know, Huskies. <laughs> they have a lot of coulda, shoulda, woulda. But I bet you Kenny Atkinson gets the most out of that talent. Our buddy Gordon Hayward's there, too. He actually had a good season before he got hurt, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, so did Isaiah Thomas. I mean, you know, yeah. he was okay. He's in Plumlee. You got a lot of talent there. The guys just can't stay healthy, and their kind of careers are it, – it's like we just played the major league line. Bunch of – has been and never would be. <laughs> and you do have greatness there, Tom, in, in, in the owner box. So you have to think about it this, that way. The, the ultimate yeah, Michael Jordan yeah. makes the decisions, right? So. Well, outside of the NBA, Michael Jordan has not had a lot of success. And, and movies. You know, he, he's got a good movie. Yeah. But he was a despicable baseball player. Horrendous. <laughs> uh, just just a, a, an eyesore as a baseball player. I hear he can't play poker too well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I heard he's a good golfer, at least, actually. I did hear he's a good golfer, but I, I've yeah. never seen that. And as an owner, not sure that there's a worse NBA owner out there. All right, not, that's going too far. The Dolan's Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, there, there's still some, but he, he's on the list. Put him on the list, Tom. Put him on the list. I, if on I the say list. the Dolan's are worse too loud, this is why I don't have a, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have an Alexa in my house. If I say the Dolan's are bad too loud, they cut my cable vision off and I can't watch TV anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't even be surprised to tell you the truth if that was if that happened. So, <laughs> also on the list coming up in hour two, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, huge game three today in Tampa. We'll look at that. We'll give you again a look ahead to tomorrow night's elimination game with Colorado and the Oilers, Major League Baseball, National League. We'll mosey on around, talk about the Mets and more in hour two. He Wave Sports back after this. Now back to Heatway Sports. Kick off hour two of Heatway Sports in Mungle Tom Martin. Every Saturday and Sunday night at 10 o'clock, including next weekend as well. You can reach us over on Twitter at HW Sports at Tom Barton Sports. Get a lot of feedback 
over there. Appreciate everybody listening to the show as always. I have a quick handicapping question for you, Tom Barton. We were discussing this off air, and it popped in my head because we were talking about baseball-wise. You know what what looks good tomorrow potentially before we do the final research. And um, I look at a situation where, you know, for a lot, a lot for me is you know I, I put a lot into the the starting pitchers and the bullpen. They mean a lot into factoring into my handicapping this year, which I've you know, not to jinx it and knocking on what I've done. Okay. So you're done phenomenal you, this year. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate the, it. The radio airwaves from one handicapper to, uh, you know, some, <laughs> some that's crushing it this year. The air, airwaves are not a time to be modest, Tim. <laughs> okay. 29 and 10 over 17 units up. You can follow that over on my Twitter. I put up every play. So we know it's legitimate. It's time stamped and everything. Right. So, I was looking at just looking at the card before I even get into research on. It. So there's a game tomorrow. It's um, Arizona. They're in Cincinnati to take on the Reds. Two below 500 teams. Arizona's I, I, they're they're competitive. They're a very gritty competitive team. We saw Cincinnati go on like this little mini run of offensive explosion against the Cubbies. But you got Bumgarner and you got Hunter Green pitching tomorrow. So before I even look at statistically breaking it down. How hard is it, Tom, to be in the business you're in and say, I'm putting my well-earned money on one of these two teams that are under 500? It's, you know, in baseball, it's easy to just say, well, they're 220, 240. You know you're going to lay with Scherzer or DeGrom or whoever's pitching that's going to give you numbers like that, Cole. But when it's this and it's almost an even number, it, it's really hard to put your money on bad teams, right? It just it doesn't matter how good the pitcher is sometimes. Well, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned Bumgarner and Green, and the the line is that Arizona's not that bad. They're mm-hmm. fighting for 500. They're a couple games under 500 here. I think they're three games under 500 right now. But you mentioned a guy like Green. He's impossible to go up against and try to make a, a, a educated guess against. Look, He's given up nine runs in his last two starts. In his last eight innings, he's given up nine runs. But the 13 innings before that, he gave up one run in each game, right? Um, So young pitchers are very difficult. You either ride them, like I've done with Mackenzie Gore from day one. You either ride them and ride them and ride them, or they are massively inconsistent like this. And so is Bumgarner as well. I know Bumgarner's overall numbers look pretty nice, but he's had a couple of blow-up games. He he looked like he fixed it last time out. but he had given up nine game, nine runs in the two games before that as well. So the teams being bad doesn't matter to me. If the Reds were on the road, the, the Reds are on pace uh, to win about 22 road games all year. If the Reds were on the road, I'd be all over the Diamondbacks. I don't care who's pitching. But in this situation, I don't care that the teams are bad. To me, it's the starting pitcher inconsistency that drives me nuts. That's the thing that I just can't stand. I hate backing a pitcher – that is, you know, two games on, two games off, three games on, two games. I, I, I just can't get a hold of that, so I run away from something like that. Okay, what about this one then? Tomorrow night, Angels return home from the road trip. They've lost 11 in a row. Another blown game today. They give up a grand slammy in the eighth to Bryce Harper. They gave up a three-run walk-off to Bryson Staub, both Vegas kids, by the way. In the, in the ninth inning, they lose that game. Terrible way to lose. Terrible way to end the road trip. They head back home. Boston comes in. Boston's, like you said, is playing 
very good baseball. Cindergard um, on the bump for the Angels. He's looked bad two of his last three starts. Waka for the Red Sox hasn't pitched badly. Yet the Angels are a dollar thirty favorite in this one. This is the mentality you just mentioned. Cindergards look bad. He, Eleven runs in two of those games, uh, sandwiched between a one-run game. But this is the mentality that I always talk about: the roulette wheel, Tim. Right? Yeah. You go to any casino in America. Doesn't have to be Vegas. Could go any casino in America. In stand at the roulette wheel long enough, inevitably you'll have this guy come up. Guy comes up, you know, wad of cash, 100, 200, 300 bucks, whatever it might be. And he goes, ah, 10 red in a row. Well, it's got to be black, right? I mean, <laughs> you have that guy. You never have the guy, and there might be people like this, but you never have the guy that go, hey, 10 red in a row, I'm going to play red again. You have people that play that, but they're not boisterous about it. They're not out there about it. The reason why the Angels are minus 130 is because somebody's sitting there. Somebody out there is going, they're due, right? They got their ace on the man. They're coming home. Uh, they haven't won in, in like two weeks, right? I mean, really. And, and that, by the way, is not really overshooting it, Tim. The last time they won a game, and I know this is going to hurt you to hear, was May 24th, okay? So um, it's going to be almost two weeks. And somebody's going, I see a lot of red, Tim. It's got to go black. I mean, that is the full mentality. Because if you break this down by any other metrics, the Boston Red Sox are playing really well. They're on a winning streak. The Angels are getting destroyed in the worst possible ways. The Angels' bullpen is beaten up. Noah Syndergaard has given up 11 runs in two of his last three starts. He looks bad. And you got Michael Walker on the other side. Walker's coming off a three-hit performance last time. And I know he struggled against the White Sox, but the three starts before that, he's given you four, five, six innings. He shut this team out the last time he saw them, just uh, you know, in the beginning of last month. Shut them out, kept them to a three-hitter last time he saw them. He's got success against them. Everything here says Red Sox, Tim, except the mentality of, hey, look at the roulette wheel. Even if you, even if you agree with some of that, uh, risky thinking, you cannot bet that. As much no. as you say that they're due, you cannot bet that. No, it's the same thing I said about the Tampa Bay Lightning today on my morning show on, on SGN, right? The same thing I said. You got to be nuts to lay the 175. Now, you might win, and I'm not telling you to go to the other side, but you got to be crazy to do it. You got to be crazy to take the Angels during this losing streak right now. I'm not telling you to take the Red Sox at all. I'm just telling you, laying money with a team that hasn't won in 12 days, 13 games, whatever it is. It, it's insane. I don't care that Syndergaard's on the mound. It's nuts to think that the Angels are magically going to turn this thing around, and I'm not paying money to see it happen. Over in the NHL, we saw the Lightning. 170, 170. I think it even got close up to 190, Tom, by, by faceoff. In a game against New York Rangers, down 2 nothing at home. Must This absolutely was a must-win game. And after a scoreless first period, the Rangers put together two goals within about two minutes, and it looked like, oh, that was it, Tom. You know, the Rangers have definitely got them at, th at this point. And two of their long-standing superstars, veterans, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, scored goals, put this game back at two, and the Lightning found a way to pull this out in the third quarter, or third period to win it three to two. You know, we even the way it ended, we thought like if Tampa's going to do this, they have to win this game, and I think the Rangers 
just stupid penalties in this game, Tommy. You're a fan. Let's talk about the fan side. Stupid penalties allowed Tampa to get back into this. They have nobody to blame but themselves at this point. Yeah, and I think that the entire game changed when um, it was a four-on-three and the Rangers got a breakaway. They beat Vasilevsky and wound up hitting the post. That would have been soul-crushing for Tampa Bay. Instead, they were able to avoid that. They had the advantage on the four-on-three. And you're right, penalty late, penalty late, penalty late, penalty late. And they were penalties by big-time Rangers. It wasn't uh, you know, secondary guys. It wasn't guys that don't mean anything to the team, like Ryan Reeves, you know. The, the, they were important Rangers that were making mental mistakes, and that's going to happen. I highlighted this morning how young this team is. On the entire roster, there's only three players that are more than 30 years old. One's a backup goalie that you'll never see. The other one is Reeves, who, you know, is, is not anything special on the team. So, and one's Chris Kreider, who's actually 31 years old. So they're very young, Tim. With the youngness, you get excitement. You get the idea that they don't understand how big it is to beat Tampa Bay and Vasilevsky. You get the energy. You get the speed. You get the, the condition. You get all of that. But you also get what you had today, and that is some mental mistakes. That is some just dumb errors. But I do think that this entire game could be summed up in that one shot. On a four-on-three, the Rangers' disadvantage, they had a shot to really put that game away and to just completely rip the soul right out of Tampa Bay with that shot, and it hit the post. That's the difference in the game. That's how close this game was. Were you surprised with the urgency? It seemed like Tampa was playing with a 51 shots on Igor versus the 30 mustered up by the Rangers in this one. Yeah, you know, it, it, and it was an early first quarter. I, the, I think the first quarter shots on goal, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, um, was like 15 to 11 or 15 to 10. And there, there was a lot of shots on goal early on, and we got out of that 0-0. Tampa Bay just kept saying, you know, we're just, we're just going to kind of we're, – we're, we're going to do what I think McDavid should do tomorrow. And that is just – and I mentioned this, just pepper, pepper him with goals. Just – Anything close, just make him move. Make, hopefully something gets by. Hopefully there's a rebound here or there. You know, you look at the final score, you go, oh, Igor didn't play well. Igor played amazing tonight. He, he was great. You know, he just got beat late on that one goal. But it was penalties. This is a game that if I'm the Rangers head coach, I'm sitting there and if I'm Gallant, I'm taking this film, Tim, I'm throwing in the garbage. I'm going, don't worry about it. Don't even watch the game. I don't want you to watch the game. You guys know what you did wrong. You guys know that we had this game won even with all the mistakes that we made. You guys know that this is, you know, and less than an inch away from being a 3-0 series because if we make that shot, they're not coming back from it. So you guys know what to do. I throw this tape away. I get ready to go home where the crowd will be insane. I showed you that video. You asked me how the, how the, the fans in New York are relating. The crowd will be insane. It's the best crowd in hockey, but we know that. It's the best show in hockey. They'll be doing that at Garden at the Garden. It's the best venue in hockey, the Garden Madison Square Garden. That will get these young kids up and ready to go. I just I can't look back on this game if I'm in the, the New York Rangers. The Rangers head coach, he's just got to throw this in the garbage. Don't even go review the tape. Just go and say it was just a bad mental game. Game four Tuesday night in Tampa. And guess what, Tommy? Lightning, 170, five and a half the total. I, I I don't get it, Tim. I just don't. I don't get what people are seeing in this. But again, I didn't get 
the, the Vegas Golden Knights being so elevated today. I thought that they should be the favorites today, but not that elevated. And I'm going, you know, I, I mean, is this is this a gift with the Rangers? I'm getting 155 back with the home team that has, by and large, owned this entire series. They At home, they scored nine goals against Vasilevsky. Nine goals. Now, I know that that it, it, it's not going to be kind of – oh, this is still in Tampa. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I know that they're not coming home here. 175 is pretty pretty nuts, man. You know, 175 is pretty crazy. I, I'll tell you, you know, I, I think Tampa Bay could win this game. They're not going to win game five because of the things that I said about the, the home ice advantage. Uh, with the young kids. They're not winning game five. But the same thing I said last night, I think that the, the Lightning probably do win game four. But you're betting against Igor. You're betting against an MVP candidate. And why would you go near that? Tim, once again, we're sitting here with a total, sitting here at five and a half, Tim. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, how, how do you take the over? No, we could end up with another 3-2 game. You know, I... I I, I still think we're in for a classic 2-1, one nothing game somewhere along the line here. Somewhere in this series, we're getting a 2 nothing or a, or a, a one nothing, a 2-1 type of game. We're sitting back, and we're going to watch one of these goalies just absolutely stand on his head. Not that they haven't looked really good, but one of them is going to just put on a, a, a strict, insane display. I'd rather just take the under. Ranger Ryan Strom left this game early. Tommy only played about seven minutes. I don't know his status for game four. He's a big cog in, in the machine. Yeah, he's a big cog. Um, Tampa Bay still missing Braden Point, by the way, that you could see them feeling that. He's a big cog because he is, um, you know, he's that guy that they kind of lean on when things get tough in, in New York. So that could be a factor. I, I don't think it will be. I mean, you know, look, the, the series is, is going to be tight. The series was always going to be tight. I just can't believe that people think that Tampa Bay should be 175 favorites. They should be favorites here. But you're going up against a Rangers team that dominated in the first two games. They didn't win. They dominated the first two games. Out of the first period of this game, it it was sitting back and still tied. The Rangers dominated the second period. They were up 2-0. So much like the NBA, and we talked about in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors saying, hey, we won seven of eight quarters. You look at this and you go, the Rangers have kind of won every single quarter except for the third period, right? I mean, they've won almost everything, just quite kind of like the NBA. I, I think I think it's the Rangers or nothing here. Game four tomorrow, 5 o'clock in Edmonton. The number one seed, Colorado Avalanche, Tommy, with a chance to sweep the Edmonton Oilers on the road. They were a $1.30 favorite at the Oilers, are we? We talked about this last night. We can give some more analysis. I don't think it's going to change on either end. The Oilers have nothing to lose at this point, and you know they're going to bring out uh, shots of flurry. Let's put it that way. Can they get enough to beat the Colorado Avalanche, though, Tommy, and avoid this sweep? You know, I think they do. I, I won't bet on it. You know, I can't put my hard-earned money on that, Tim. Um, but I think they probably do. They, they are a better team than what they've shown. They Their offense, the last time we saw this team have their backs against the wall, the last time this team was in a, a tough spot, basically they threw it all away. 
They threw away their game plan, and they just told McDavid and Leon, uh, Drysaddle, hey, guys, you guys go out there. You be on the line and just go crazy. I keep calling it pond hockey. That That's what it is, right? It's go out there, play backyard hockey, um, take every shot. And that would be my advice. I told you this last night. That would be my advice just easily. That's my advice when you go out there and you talk to McDavid tomorrow. If you see the goal, just take the shots. I think they're going to let him play, play free, play loose, go nuts out there. And in that kind of environment, I said this before the series, you can win a game. And if you're playing like that, Tim, they can certainly lose. They, they can they can make so many mistakes taking those kind of chances. But I think that they have enough to win one game. McDavid has enough in the tank to win one game. Tommy, Colorado undefeated this year in the postseason on the road. Yeah, that, that's that's a unique situation, right? Um, I, I would just go out there and say Colorado really hasn't faced the, the top-level competition so far. Uh, mm-hmm. Even with Edmonton, it's not like – I don't think anybody went into the playoffs thinking that Edmonton, outside of me, was the second-best team in the West. They've avoided a lot, so I wouldn't read too much into that. I agree with you. I think Edmonton finds a way to get one win here. Colorado closes it out in game five on their home ice, though. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I could very easily see <laughs> – I think there's going to be some scoring tomorrow, and they move the line down to six and a half. Um, I think that I could see them losing big time. I could see them losing, you know, like I said, 9-3, you know, <laughs> 7-4, something like that. I can't see another situation where – Eight minutes left in the game, Connor McDavid has two shots on goal. I can't see another situation where, you know, the the offense is just goes stagnant. I, I think if they win, they're going to win because they score four or five goals. If they lose, they're going to lose because they give up six, seven goals, but they still score three, four, five goals. I, I don't think it's going to – they're going to go away quietly offensively. Right. We're, they're not winning a, a 2-1 game tomorrow night. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. No. We'll be talking next Saturday. We'll be talking about the Stanley Cup. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this week plays out. Colorado, chance to eliminate Edmonton tomorrow on the road. And when we come back, we'll finish up Heatwave Sports tonight with a look around the National League in Major League Baseball. The Mets win two of four in LA. We'll break down the West when we begin. Uh, when we come back, from the short timeout, it's Heatwave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heatwave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Best for last here on a Super Sunday night. Heatwave Sports back at a 10 o'clock Saturday. We're talking Major League Baseball. A nice, nice long discussion last night in the American League. So we'll switch over to the National League. Tom, in the West, the L.A. Dodgers 35-19 and 19, hold a two-game lead over the Padres. The Giants 5.5 behind them, or 5.5 behind L.A., Arizona 9.5, and, and Colorado 12 back. When you look at the West, we always thought you had the three, like last year. And, you know, when I look, when I look at this, it's, it's almost a mirror image of last year, right, Tom? This is right before San, San Diego went into a dramatic dive and the Dodgers, you thought were going to run away with it, but San Francisco just kept hanging around and hanging around. And, yeah, I know they're five and a half out, Tommy, but they're just kind of hanging around still, are the Giants. 
Yeah, and you get rid of Kevin Gaussman, but you go out there and you pick up Rodon, who looked pretty good for a little while. Um, what's shocking to me is is how they're able to put together a lineup that guys are just failing. They're just—I mean, they really are, Tim. Guys are just failing. They're not looking good. Their batting averages are terrible. Somehow, this Giants team just keeps winning. I—I I, I don't get it. I really—I mean, I really don't get it. You look at the—just uh, look at the Giants lineup right now, okay? Austin Slater, Wilmer Flores, Yastrzemski, Longoria, Gonzalez, Theo Estrada, Kirk Casale, Walton, Bosler. Are we kidding? You know, their batting averages, Tim, 243, 256, 279, 239, uh, 275, 250, 225. Yet they're winning. I mean, this is the San Francisco formula that they just kind of just get by, get the big hit when they need to. I know a couple of guys have been, you know, playing above their head and whatnot, but you're you're talking about it is a weak, weak rotation. This is a weak roster. And even guys that you're counting on, I mean, Tim, you got them on your fantasy team. You got to be really upset with the way the catching situation has worked out. Oh, Bart was supposed to be the next, um, next big thing, wasn't he, Tommy? He was. I, I mean, not only is Joey Bart in danger of just kind of submarining this team, Tim, you got to start wondering: Is he going to come out of this? He's got. He's batting one fifty six, man. Yeah. This, this is not. This is not a twenty one year old. 56 you know he's 25 i know the catchers develop differently and he could say tom don't worry about it but we've watched a lot of catchers with a high pedigree come in and just you know kind of just go you know you know what never learned how to hit right i mean we've watched the these kind of guys just go through the paces and you go ah you know that never was the guy we expected him to be he never wound up panning out to be kind of the guy that you expected him to be um We've seen it in all kinds of situations. Kyle Raleigh is doing that now. You look at a guy like Tom Murphy was a guy that everybody kind of was really high on. Uh, there's another catcher, I'm missing the name right now, that was drafted by Seattle. He was supposed to be the guy. They brought him up. They, they aggressively brought him up. He hasn't been looking uh, too good. Uh, Seattle kind of let go of him. So it's a weird Zazino. situation with catchers. Who is it? Mike Zazino. Yes, Zanino. Right. Yep. So now you start to look at Joey Bart and you go, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm hearing that the Giants might be involved in Castillo rumors. If that's true, I mean, they've all given up on Joey Bart. Well, then you come to the Padres. Different team than last year in that the pitching is healthier. Granted, Tatis still hasn't played, right, Tom? So he's he's due back at some point. What's that going to do for the chemistry there? But for me, it's it was more about getting a chance to see the guy you mentioned earlier in the show, and Mackenzie Gore, now be fully integrated into Major League Baseball. He, he's he's that guy now, right? And the Snell being back healthy, he's done. He's done. I think you say he's done what he's had to do. Nothing spectacular, but at the same time, he's been able to hold that spot in rotation. Clavenger's back. You know, that that's where I look at the strength of the Padres is, is that starting pitching. And that's, and that's with Manny Machado having what some people say is an MVP-type season. Well, Tim, they're also going to make a big-time move soon because Fernando Tatis will be coming back. You know, I mean, that's what we're talking about. Tatis is going to come back. 
we talked about it yesterday about, you know, some of these guys and some a team like the White Sox making big moves without having to make moves because Lance Lynn's coming back, Eloy Jimenez. Well, Fernando Tatis is coming back, and there's no question he's the best hitter on that team. You're saying it. Look, they can get by with their pitching where it is right now. Their pitching is really good. Their pitching is performing really well. They can get by with their pitching right now. Um, can they get a jolt in the hitting department? Well, that jolt is coming. Fernando Tatis is on his way. Tatis, Machado, Hosmer. That's going to be the core in the, in the middle. Whatever yes, else they get yeah. around it, you know. So, What about the Dodgers then? 19. Um, doing Dodger things, right? 290 runs. They've given up only 177 runs. So excellent pitching. Yet sometimes it's weird. I, I just look in their last two series. They get swept by the Pirates at home and then lose two or four to the Mets at home. Just is that just a law of averages, Tom, or is it something that we, we should be looking at possibility as being some type of an Achilles heel here in the, in the Dodger lineup? No, we should be very nervous. Clayton Kershaw is coming back, but right now, look, he's not he's not pitching for them. Walker Bueller has looked awful recently. I know his spin rate. They're saying is about the same, but his velocity is down a little bit. You start to when you see results that he's had, you start to question if he's injured, because Walker Bueller two innings five earned run against the Mets, six innings four earned runs against the Pirates. He's given up nine runs in his last eight innings over two stretches, and before that, look, he shut down Washington and Arizona, two of the worst offenses in the league. Before that, took on Philly, five innings five runs. So, Tim, Walker Bueller in three of his last four starts, three of his last five starts, I should say, he hasn't gotten out of the sixth inning. He's given up four or five runs in each one of those games, sandwiched between good outings against Arizona and Washington. And in those games, even in those games, he pitched 11 innings in two games and walked four guys. Let's just say it the way it is. Walker Bueller makes you nervous right now if you're a Dodger fan. Julio Urias, who is supposed to be the next guy up, right? He's supposed to be the next big thing. Uh, you know, 25 years old, Cy Young winner. Oh, yeah, that's coming. Well, against Pittsburgh, six innings, eight hits, four earned runs. I know he came back and pitched well against the Mets. Struggled against Philly as well. So their, their pitching is worrying me if I'm a Dodger fan right now. Their pitching is something that, you know, was supposed to be this big strength and – doesn't look like it right now. Tony Gonsolin is being counted on to be a big-time guy. In the back end of the rotation, they lost uh, some big-time names that you expected them to to just jump into the fray, uh, especially in the bullpen. Tommy Kamen was supposed to be a big part of this team. Um, you look at Blake Trinan was supposed to be a big part of this team. Craig Kimbrell is struggling right now. Craig Kimbrell doesn't look great. You look at a guy like, like Kimbrell and you go, oh, don't worry about it. The Dodgers have plenty of depth. Well, they did, but they don't anymore. And Craig Kimbrell is a guy that's sitting there, and you go, hey, you know, uh, four ERA, uh, 1.22 whip? I don't love that either. In the Central, we called this from day one. Look, the Reds, Cubs, Pittsburgh are going to be where they're going to be. It was a two-team race, and that's what we have so far. 65 games into the season, Milwaukee with a half game lead over the Brewers, or excuse me, over the Cardinals right now, Tom. It's going to be a fun one to watch all summer, I believe. 
Yeah, Milwaukee is a team that you look at and you go, they, they've really dealt with some big-time injuries. They lost Freddie Peralta. By the way, Aaron Ashby looks fantastic. I'm a big Aaron Ashby fan. But they lost Freddie Peralta. That was a big ding. And they lost Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas is the best hitter on this team. And they lost him. That that was a big knock as well. Christian Yelich still isn't playing well. I still believe what I believed before the year. Milwaukee Brewers can win a World Series with this roster. But if they were able to get one more bat, one more bat, I think that they should be the World Series favorites with the pitching that they have. And I'm talking about even over the Dodgers, who are worried about their pitching. I mean, you look at this. Brandon Woodruff is out right now. Freddie, who is their number two pitcher. Freddie Peralta is out right now, who's their number three pitcher. Willie Adamas is the best hitter on the team. They're still 33-23. and 23. They got a, a, a three-game losing streak here, and they're still in first place after all of that. You've got to be happy if you're the Brewers and just say, look, better days are ahead. You know, when you look at the Cardinals, I, the more and more the season progresses, and I, and I, you know, low key, look, I was with you. I liked Milwaukee from this from the onset, but I had St. Louis sneaking in wild card ways and, and winning a series. And the way I looked at them, I just as the season progresses, Tom, I like them a lot more. And it's easy to say, look, we like Goldie and we like Arenado, but. It's the it's the other pieces of the puzzle, the Edmonds and the Baders. Now Nolan Gorman's up, and, and you know he's he's not playing like a rookie. He's hitting the ball very well. You have the veteran and Molina there, and, and they're fun to watch offensively. But pitching wise, it just it always seems that the guys go to St. Louis, Tommy. They they figure it out. And Wainwright, he could be fifty years old. We saw him again tonight pitch another gem. He has it down. You, you you know, whether it's Mikolas or they throw out Dakota Hudson, it doesn't matter. These guys just they just figure out a way to shorten these games to get to the bullpen. And good news, Tom, you talked about Tatis coming back. Flaherty's back soon as well. You know, that that's going to be a shot in the arm for the, for the Redbirds. Yeah, maybe. I'm not getting too hyped about Flaherty, who's constantly had arm problems. His little social justice, uh, you know, screaming at people on Twitter is going to come to an end. <laughs> and he's going to actually have to start pitching again. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't feel good about him. I, I agree with everything that you said about Wainwright. The guy has just reinvented himself. He, he's just unbelievable to watch over the last couple of years. They were talking about his retirement. I'm going, he can't retire. He's the ace of the staff. Um, the back end of that bullpen looks fantastic. They found Helsley back there. Uh, Cabrera, Genesis Cabrera is fantastic. The St. Louis Cardinals just, they do the little things. Here's the interesting thing about the Cardinals. They're doing all this without Tyler O'Neill who was expected to be like a 25-25 type of guy. Tyler O'Neill is a big shot in the arm, and I keep hearing that they are on the market for a shortstop. I keep hearing that they're going to be going after some somebody out there because they've been doing it with Sosa or they're moving different guys over, and, and you know they're getting into a point where they feel like, okay, we can make that move. Paul Goldschmidt's not going to hit 350 for the rest of the year, so you expect him to kind of come back to the pack a little bit. And right now, during what they've been doing this push for, they're really relying upon Goldschmidt to do most of the damage, and he's been doing most of the damage. But I don't know how long that could last. I think St. Louis is going to hang in there all year. But if they are able to make a big-time move, and I keep hearing that they are looking, if they're able to make that big-time move, Tim, I could definitely see them flip-flopping over the Milwaukee Brewers, who I think need to do something. Then in the East, the New York bets 37-19, and 8-10, 
two straight in Dodger Stadium. Now they head to San Diego for a big three-game set against the Padres. Eight-and-a-half game lead over defending champion Braves. Phillies, 11 back. They just fired Girardi. Went on a four-game winning streak after that, so pay attention to that. Next two teams, Miami, Washington. What do you know what Washington's about, right? Miami, how about this one, Tommy? I know you've been big on the Marlins here the last few years as far as the way that the youngs, the youngsters come out of the pitching staff. Just doesn't seem to like be clicking other Mattingly. You think that Donnie Mack may be looking for a new job here very relatively soon? I don't think so. Uh, you know, I, I don't think so at all. I, I think that the Marlins know what kind of team they gave him. He's doing the best job that, that he can give them. I, I don't think that Miami is under any precedence to actually win right now in this division with the Mets who are running away with it. The Mets have the best record in the National League. The Atlanta Braves who won the World Series last year. They're still only eight games under 500. They don't have any hitting. I, I don't think Mattingly should be under pressure. He might be, but I don't think he should be under any pressure. Phillies, new manager, four-game winning streak. They're not as bad as, as um, they were playing, so maybe it was just something to do with the attitude there in the locker room. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, everyone kind of is blaming that that on Girardi. The, the message wasn't being received, but it's not Girardi's fault. Uh, this Philly team has been constructed poorly. But Tim, the bullpen is, you know, I know they're performing okay this year, but the bullpen is generally a mess. Um you go out there and you get a Nubel and you go, oh, yeah, that, that's going to be our guy. Alec Bohm has not come around like we thought. Bryson Stott has not come around like they thought. Uh, you know, they're, there's, uh, they're dealing with Bryce Harper, who's out there kind of playing with one arm at this point. A lot of these guys, a lot of the, the way that they just put the roster together, Gene Segura has been banged up. Didi Gregorius isn't in there. I'm trying not to make excuses, but let's be honest. This is a poorly constructed roster that has had a lot of just weird situations and weird injuries happen. The champs, the Braves, Tommy, eight and a half back. They are on a five-game winning streak. It looks like they're playing a lot better baseball than they did beginning of the season. And it's just like last year almost. I don't think they were back. I don't remember. I remember after the break they were left for dead and went on an incredible run to get in the playoffs, and we know what happened after that. But when you look at the Braves, what, what's changed here? I mean, it's, it's other than uh, – Well, I, I think they did it a lot with smoke and mirrors last year. I mean, let, let's be honest, Tim. Look at where they were at this time last year. They weren't as good as they are right now. So they went on a magical run last year. You can take nothing away from them for that magical run, but let's just make sure that we understand it's a magical run. Right. I mean, it's a magical run. So the, the magical run isn't happening this year. I wouldn't take it anything away from the Braves. They're about I thought they'd be about a 500 team. They're about a 500 team. Ronald Acuna is coming back from an injury. He doesn't look like the Ronald Acuna we remember. Charlie Morton, ah, wrong side of 40. Sometimes you hit a wall. Well, looks like he kind of hit a wall. Right. I mean, I know they've won five in a row and, and but they're, they're a game over 500. You should be better than this. But when you start to break it down, Acuna back from an injury struggling, I'm not surprised. Team leadership gone. Freddie Freeman's gone. I'm not surprised. Charlie Morton, over the age of 40, is kind of struggling. Yeah, I'm not surprised. The Atlanta Braves last year going into the All-Star game, eh, about a 500 team. I'm not surprised that they're in this position. Kyle Wright, 
nice season so far. Max Fried obviously had to expect he was going to be good again. Ian Anderson, I think, up and down pitcher. And then you mentioned it, the the ageless Charlie Morton, who looks very aged at this point. Mike Soroka, eventually coming back, right? But it may, like you said, it may not be uh, enough for them as you're definitely looking at a wild card situation right now. And I think those spots are all taken up. Yeah, well, look, I, I mean, I, I I look at the East and I go, you know, the Nationals are done. Miami's done. Philly might be able to climb back into a wild card. And the Braves are the only competition to the Mets. And so the Braves are going to have to go out there and decide, do we make an upgrade? I mean, do we, do we make a move here or are we kind of content with that World Series? I, I, I mean, I don't think Atlanta has enough to overtake the Mets, Tim. I don't know if Atlanta has enough to hold off Philly here. And how about those Mets? 37 to 19. They won 8 to 10, Tom. When does the I hate to be that guy, but when when does it go south? When does it start turning turning this turning downwards for the Met team? I'm shocked it hasn't happened already with Scherzer and DeGrom not in there. I, I'm shocked it hasn't already reared its ugly head. Um I, I keep expecting it to happen, but I keep looking at the Mets and I keep looking at who they're going up against and I keep looking how the, the schedule keeps falling and the competition they had. Like I said, Miami and Washington are in a competition. Philadelphia probably buried themselves too far and I don't believe in Atlanta. I think this is the Mets division, Tim. And you start to break down kind of their schedule and you go, okay, well, well where are they going to kind of hit that hiccup? Where are the Mets going to have their problems? Well, they go on the West Coast Three against San Diego, three against the Angels. Angels are playing terribly right now. I don't think they're going to bury themselves there. Then you get Milwaukee, Miami, two against Houston, back-to-back to Miami, two more against Houston. Are you going to struggle against Houston? Yeah, maybe. But you got six against Miami, so you're not going to worry about there. Then Texas, Cincinnati, and Miami all in a row. Oh, they're going to go crazy in the middle of July. Then they go a road trip to Atlanta, and then the Cubs. I'm not worried about that either. So – you have to go now to the second half to even hit that tough stretch for the New York Mets. Where is that tough stretch? At home against San Diego, two against the Yankees. No, you got Miami and Washington right after that. So even if you struggle there, you bounce right back. Four against Atlanta. Oh, that's going to be a big series, or I should say uh, five against Atlanta. Huge five games in the beginning of August. Followed up with Cincinnati. Followed up with Philly at home, Atlanta, Philly, and then the Yankees. That's the stretch. So you have to go all the way to August 12th where they're going to take on Philly for three, Atlanta for four, Philly for four, and the Yankees for two. That That's going to be uh, – what is that? That's six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's 13 games. There's a 13-game stretch in August. That's when I would worry about them. By the way, after that, they take on Washington, Pittsburgh, Miami, Chicago, Pittsburgh. So they'll be able to recover. You look at the schedule here. There's not really a downfall of the New York Mets. Every time that they're going to be pushed, their schedule just gets real light because they're in a division now with a terrible Washington team, a bad Miami team, and, and two other teams that, yeah, you're better than. Let's just put it out there. We know the Mets, though, aren't afraid to make a move when it comes to solidifying that team for the run. So, you know, active, there'll be an active shopper come deadline season here right around the corner. Yeah, I, I mean, look, there, there's going to be a move. Steve Cohen is going to make a move. I, I don't know 
if it's going to be a move that helps, though. Sometimes you get these owners. Look, I, I lived through George Steinberg. Sometimes you get these owners that they want to make the big splash, and, and it kind of hurts the team. Going after Wilson Contreras isn't going to hurt the team. No, absolutely not. Um, but you got something nice working right now. Who do who who can he bring on that could kind of disrupt this thing? You know, no no names jump off the table, but I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him to go out there and kind of go go get somebody that you go, why? Why did you need him? Why did you need to go do that? We talked about Juan Soto last night. You know, Juan Soto, you'll take him on your team every day of the week, all day long, a million times over. But if you don't go out there and kind of make a concentrated effort on Soto, you think that he wants to sit back and sit on his hands? No, he's going to try to make some kind of splashy move. Is it Luis Castillo? Is it Frankie Montas? Or are those two small fish to fry and he wants to make something massive, some big-time move? That's kind of what you're dealing with when you have this kind of owner. It's also a situation with that owner and a lead like they have that they would acquire somebody to stop somebody else from acquiring somebody. Is it, Do they play games like that? Yeah, maybe. I, I think one of the things also is that the New York Mets don't have the, the minor league system. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned they got this kid, Alvarez, who's a catcher, but he's like 21 years old. Um, they have uh, Mauricio, who's a shortstop, who, again, is something like 20, 21 years old. Brett Batty is decent. I mean, he's a decent player. Outside of that, they don't have much. I mean, David Peterson would have been one of those guys to kind of dangle, and David Peterson is needed right now. So I don't know if they have a lot to trade, which means that you would have to trade off the the current roster, Tim. If you're trading off the current roster, now we get back into that position of disrupting team unity. Speaking of the Mets, Tom, I saw this little tidbit. Last year's first-round pick, Kamar Rocker out of Vanderbilt, chose not to sign with the Mets, pitched his first independent league game this past weekend. So he can obviously put himself uh, – what is this – how does it go for him? Does he eligible to be redrafted, or has he just become – he can't be a free agent. He has – technically, they own his rights, correct? He would have to go back uh, into the draft. Yeah, he's got – yeah, that's exactly what has to happen. He's got to go back and restart all over again, basically. Um, so he's going to be put back. He can't land on a team here, Tim. Um, so he can't land right now on any team. He's got to go back into the draft, and then a team could redraft him. So the Mets can redraft him, actually, mm-hmm. okay? Um, but they're going to have to completely and utterly redraft him and, and go that situation if he's going to be a part of, of any team. How big is a number 10 overall pick in an MLB draft versus, obviously, we know in a 10, number 10 pick in the NFL draft, the difference between when it doesn't work out for you at that number, way worse in the NFL. I don't think it's a big deal, Tim. I really don't. I think that, that Rocker could be redrafted and be perfectly fine. But the thing is, is that before the draft, I was hearing it wasn't only about money. People questioned Rocker's abilities. People questioned right. would he be able to, to handle the load. And I'm going to look it up while, while I'm on with you here because uh, I don't know this off, off site. But I think that he's a small guy. And that really was a big concern. If I remember reading um, – Kumar Rocker. It was, like an, it was an elbow issue as well. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there was something physical about him that people were bringing up 
question marks about it. I don't remember exactly what it was, but somebody was bringing up something, you know, sitting there and going, you know, I, I, have, I have question marks. I spoke to uh, a secondary scout that, that told me, and he was in the teens, we'll just say, and he said, I wouldn't draft him. You know, so, you know, it doesn't matter where you're drafted in Major League Baseball, 10, 20, fifth round. It doesn't matter. If you're good, you're going to make it. If you're good, you're going to be fine. Um, you know, you will make it to a team. But a guy like Kumar Rocker came in not with the clean bill of health. And I knew it had something to do physically, but people were shying away from him even before that. Yeah, it's fine. Interesting because we know that in a month's time, we're going to have the draft again. And this was a guy that two years ago, was a potential number one overall pick. He slides to 10 this past year. And now a lot of seeing he's into the first round, into the second round now. So uh, definitely the red flags are out. Well, and, and you also get back to the same thing that we are talking about. Guy gets drafted number 10, thinks he's better than what he is. You start to go, eh, it's an attitude problem I don't want to deal with. So a guy with elbow problems and an attitude problem, eh. I'll take the short bet over him. I'll take this yeah. guy I like more over him. I'll I'll pass. That's how scouts are going out there and kind of you got to remember if a scout misses on a guy, you know, he, it could mean his job. Do you want to attach your job to a guy with a bad elbow and a bad attitude, or do you want to attach your job to the safe pick? Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton. Through another two-hour edition of Heatwave Sports, Tom, let everybody know about all the various ventures you're involved in right now. Yeah, guys, look, go check it out. Um, Sports Garden Network, G-A-R-T-E-N, go check it out. Want to bet? Weekend edition is the show that we do every Sunday morning. Wagering week, believe in betting. I also do my Ivy League podcast. Talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick this week, probably the most famous Ivy League football player out there. Uh, it's Believe in the Ivy League on the Believe Podcast Network. But I also wanted you to check out everything for TomBartonSports.com. I had four and a one record today. Put up five plays. I got one play up tomorrow. We're rock and rolling. Finished off another month where a winning record, guys. I've had 118 winning months in the last 136 months. I keep count. I keep record. Every single thing is there. You can get every play I select for less than $100 at TomBartonSports.com. Go check me out there. Go check me out over on my YouTube channel. You want to learn more about the Colin Kaepernick stuff? I did a YouTube video on that. That is Tom Barton Sports. You can always hit me up over on Twitter. It's Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. Tom, have a great sports week, my friend. We'll talk Saturday night at 10 o'clock. I hope I'm talking to you and the Rangers are in the Stanley Cup Finals, Tim. Here we go. Here we go. For Tommy Barton, for Ryan back in the studio, Tim Unglesby, like I said, have a great sports week. We're back at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. Heatwave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night. <laughs>